friends. This is Cliff Knight from Equippers International. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We want to lift up Jesus and provide a place for you to learn more about Him and to grow in your relationship with Him. If you find the podcast helpful, feel free to share it with others. We believe it will be a source of blessing and encouragement, and you will be strengthened in your relationship with Jesus. Equippers International Podcast, and we're studying the book of Romans, and we're starting chapter two in this episode. We've spent the last three or four episodes moving through the second part of chapter one, and we've commented extensively on Paul's understanding of the condition of man as a result of falling headlong into idolatry and all the negative things that happen as a result of that. Remember, Paul's setting up a universal condition by which he's going to be moving into his understanding of the gospel, ultimately finding its full expression in the revelation of the righteousness of God in order to bring salvation to mankind. So what he's doing first is he's showing the condition that man is in that necessitates this salvation that comes through the gospel. And it's been on kind of a universal level throughout the whole second part of chapter Chapter 1. It does seem as though from time to time he's alluding to specific people. He refers to them and they, but I think it's more just Paul's technique in order to communicate a larger truth that he's driving at in that all men are condemned and under sin as a result of their misplaced worship and their misplaced focus on why God has created them and kind of missing the mark, because that's really the whole definition of sin to begin with. And that's the condition that man finds himself in. And that's what Paul's busy doing all throughout chapter one. Now in chapter two, Paul's going to begin to focus in a little bit his discussion or his argument, so to speak. Remember, I've alluded to several times that Paul's developing a polemic or an argument here that takes the form of a courtroom setting where he's bringing accusation against all men in order to show that all men are guilty before God and that God can stand as the righteous judge and also as the just justifier of man. And we're going to get to that in more detail in chapter 3. I don't want to run ahead, but I do want to keep the larger perspective in view as we move through these passages. You know, one of the things that's unique to the book of Romans, as opposed to some of the other of Paul's letters to churches, is that Paul's letters to many other churches like the Corinthian church, the church in Ephesus, the churches through Galatia, they are based on a real life experience and interaction that Paul's been having with those churches. He's lived there, he's moved among the people, and he's addressing certain mindsets, certain situations. So there's a much more of what I would call a teaching posture and addressing real life situations. Whereas in Romans, he's going to do some of that later on in the book, but I think in this first major section that we're addressing, we kind of have to keep in mind that Paul's dealing with more of a objective, universal perspective 
in developing his understanding of the gospel, of God's good news response to the condition of all mankind. So while there is teaching involved, it's more of a presentation of fact that this is the condition and the situation and the circumstance in which all of mankind finds himself. Now, Paul's going to begin to dig around a little bit in this scenario in chapter 2 and is going to specifically start addressing the Jews later on in the chapter. But what I want to do in this episode is I want to introduce the first kind of section of chapter 2, the first 11 verses. It's a large section. It's going to take us a couple of episodes to move through this section because there's some key concepts and truths that I want to comment on in order to do due justice to this section. So let me go ahead and read the first 11 verses for this episode. It's a bit of a lengthy passage, but always I love reading the scriptures and it's always beneficial for us to hear and just let them soak in. So let's listen to Paul's comment starting in verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds." To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. So let's start by just making some general observations moving through this passage. First of all, we have these classical verses in the first two or three verses of chapter two regarding judgment. And judgment is a multifaceted topic. It's a multifaceted truth, and it's not something that we can just approach from one perspective. And this passage in Romans chapter two, the first few verses, is one of those angles or one of those facets of judgment that we need to unpack. And we'll do that. And then Paul makes this classical statement in verse 4 that do you not know that it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. He alludes to God's tolerance and his patience and his mercy. And so we want to look at that as well. And Paul's understanding of that in the midst of this whole idea of judgment. And Paul picks up these words like wrath and indignation and judgment. And these concepts carry a lot of interpretive baggage. They carry a lot of perception and concepts in people's minds. And so Paul, in the same breath, is talking about patience and tolerance and forbearance and the kindness of God leading people to repentance. And then in the very next breath, he's talking about wrath and indignation and judgment. So how do we balance and how do we synthesize? 
synthesize all these concepts together in Paul's understanding under this greater notion of judgment in regards to man's guilt and man's sinfulness before God. So this is something we need to spend a little time unpacking. And then there's the whole notion in the last part of that section in regards to deeds. And he even uses this term eternal life and he closely connects it in regards to those who do good deeds. But then he also talks about every soul of man who does evil and those will face wrath and indignation and the righteous judgment of God, even the Jew first and the Gentile. And then he goes on to say that there is no partiality with God. So what Paul is doing in this section, in my understanding of it, he's preparing the ground to go into a more specific discussion concerning the attitude of the Jews. And he's going to move into this in deeper detail in chapter two as we move to the next sections. So he starts by laying the groundwork and he ends with this idea of the playing field being completely equalized that you cannot take a position of judgment because every person that stands in that position of judgment finds themselves guilty of the very thing that they're judging. Now let's go back to the very beginning of the chapter and look at that idea of judgment. So Paul starts by saying that there is no one without excuse, that everyone who passes judgment in that which they judge another person is guilty of the very same thing. They condemn themselves because they are actually practicing the same things that they judge other people practicing. Let's try to understand what Paul's doing here in his understanding of judgment as it compares to some other teachings on judgment, specifically Jesus's teaching on judgment. Jesus teaches on judgment in Matthew chapter 7, the first couple of verses there, and then again in Luke chapter 6. It's a cross-reference to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus's teaching on judgment has everything to do with people interacting with each other and how important it is not to judge one another because when you judge somebody, you're going to be met with the same level of judgment in return. So Jesus encourages his audience that if you will remove the log from your own eye, you will be prepared to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So there is really no context of sin in the life of the people involved in Jesus's teaching. Now, it might be there, but there's just no direct reference to sinful behavior. It may be that there's a level of judgment in regards to critical input or maybe encouraging another person and helping them to sort out maybe some character issues or some critical areas of their life. But in these passages that Jesus gives instructions for, you'll see a couple features. One is it has to do with interpersonal relationship. It doesn't have to do with the relationship between God and man. It's not dealing with what I call the vertical relationship. So it's not an issue of God's judgment on another person. It's an issue of how we interact with each other in judgment, in critical interaction. And he's just clearly saying that it makes sense that we have 
a more of a pure perspective. And before we move in to try to make some critical judgment on a brother or sister's life, that we would deal with issues in our own life because we can have issues of partiality and preconceived prejudices and ideas that aren't necessarily sinful behavior. They're just misguided perspectives. And I believe that's more what Jesus is getting at in his teaching on judgment because he says specifically that to the measure that you meet out judgment upon another person, that same measure will come back to you from that person. So it just makes sense that we would want to take a lot more precaution in our judgments toward other people so that they in turn would not judge us back with the same measure. But this is a little different than what Paul's saying here in chapter 2 of Romans. What Paul is getting at here is more of an elitist mindset. Now, we're not sure exactly who he's referring to. We know from historical background, there obviously were probably among the Gentiles what was referred to as like Gentile moralist, those people that held themselves up in a greater moral capacity than other people. And we find those kind of people all the time, even in modern day life, people that take a moral higher stance and say, well, we're more righteous because we do better than other people that don't do good. And so there's this elitist mindset or this moralist mindset. And Paul's kind of addressing that mindset. But as you move through the passage, it probably becomes more clear that Paul's addressing a Jewish mindset of superiority. And he's going to go into that much more detail later on in chapter two. So I don't want to jump ahead. But regardless, either way, what he's dealing with is this idea that says, we don't practice those things. And so we judge you who practice those things on a very basic human level. And Paul's saying, you got to be kidding me. You cannot take that position of judgment because you condemn yourself because he's already made the case that everyone has fallen into idolatry. And as a result of this idolatrous lifestyle, they have been given over to impure practices in their motives, in their hearts that ultimately manifest in unrighteous actions. And Paul's saying, no person can pass judgment upon another person. Because in doing that, they actually condemn themselves. You know, as I was reading this, I was reminded of the story of David in 2 Samuel. And you remember when Nathan comes to David after he's committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba and he sends Uriah off to war and Uriah is actually murdered in war and God holds David responsible for the murder of Uriah and for taking Bathsheba. And Nathan tells him this fictitious story about two men, a poor man and a rich man. The poor man had one little ewe lamb and the rich man had a whole flock. And he tells the story about a traveler that comes through that city and he comes to the rich man and the rich man wants to prepare a meal for him. And instead of taking from his own flock, he goes and he takes the poor man's only ewe you lamb and he takes that lamb and feeds it to the traveler and immediately the scripture said David's anger burned against that man and he says surely the man who has done this deserves to die and he must make restitution for this lamb and then Nathan looks at David and he says to him you are this man 
And this is the point, I believe, where God gives David the revelation of his own sin. And this starts the process in which David is going to move into a season of great repentance before the Lord. But look at what happens. What happens is that David stands in judgment of a man who has done something wrong. It is very sinful. It's obvious before David. So he stands in judgment, not knowing, without revelation, he cannot see that he is already guilty of the same thing. And this is what Paul's getting at in his comments in the first part of chapter 2 in Romans. He's saying that when you stand in judgment and you look at someone else who is clearly in sin and you say, you are in sin, I am better than you, then you are actually accusing your own self because you are guilty of practicing the very same thing. It may not be the exact same sin, but the point is because we're all in sin, we cannot stand in judgment. Because he says there in verse 3, Do you suppose, O man, that when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, that you will escape the judgment of God? He's saying, no, it's impossible. Because the judgment of God is going to come against all unrighteousness. And he's already made the case that all men are unrighteous. So he's just making it very clear on a practical level Don't judge other people because in that judgment, you're actually condemning yourself. Now, I want to stop here in this episode, and I just want us to contemplate Paul's comments here on a more applicable level and a more devotional level like we do in all these episodes. We try to draw some application. I believe the application that we can take away from this passage is that we don't need to stand in judgment of other people. Yes, people around us may be very guilty of other things that might look worse than the possible areas of our own lives, but just be careful that we don't stand in that position. Now, remember, again, Paul is moving us through this narrative, moving us through these explanations in order to bring us to a crescendo that's going to come at the end of this section. So it is a very specific instruction, but now he's starting to get down and to deal with the more unique personal interaction, specifically regarding the Jewish mindset toward other people. And that's going to become more evident as we move through chapter two. Paul's going to meticulously break down some very strong mindsets that were present in the Jewish thinking. But he's just moving his way through this argument very carefully. And in these verses, he's encouraging all his readers, us alike, to not take a position of judgment because we all are in a position of guilt before God and that judgment does not in any way absolve us from our own guilt. So just consider these thoughts. Continue to track along with me in these early chapters of Romans. It's thick material, and there's a lot of deep things here that Paul's addressing. But I think if we'll give ourselves to contemplating them and just listening to his words, putting them in context, that it's going to help us come into a greater understanding of the beauty of the gospel, the good news of God. So be strong and courageous and love Jesus more. 